Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. Today, we're joined by Jay Patel, president of Wintergreen Hospitality based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. With an entire lifetime of experience and lessons learned, Jay and his team aim to redefine the notion of hospitality and what it means for the future of the industry. In our conversation, we'll find out how Wintergreen is challenging the status quo and breaking the script when it comes to hotel development and management. We'll also get to learn more about an exciting new project that Jay and his team are working on. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I had uh, I had kind of discovered Wintergreen Hospitality, um, just kind of diving through some new developments, and and I had stumbled upon um, some uh, new developments you guys were working on as a team. Um, and as I was looking through your website, there was uh, so much cool. Um, just information and, you know, your manifesto and a lot of the ways that you guys operate. I was just really impressed um, with everything I was seeing and the work you guys were putting out. And so I wanted to invite you on the podcast and just uh, kind of a, create a, a space for you to share your ideas and um, kind of get people to to be introduced to Wintergreen and to Jay and to to learn more about you. And, and so there's probably a lot of listeners um, that might not be familiar with with who you are and what you guys do. Could you kind of give us a brief history or uh, tell us the story of Jay and Wintergreen and, and how it all came to be? Sure, sure. I, I think I kind of think about who I am and how I see the world. And um, I guess there are just a number of adjectives I could start with. So, you know, I'm an Indian American. I grew up in the South in North Carolina um, and I grew up in this hotel business. Um, you know, my folks are from India, but they were actually born in East Africa. My dad in Uganda, my mom in uh, Kenya and Nairobi and separately, but then um, they ended up in the United Kingdom and that's where they met and got married and then they ultimately landed in the United States and um, that's where I was born. And so they'd kind of bounced around um, from place to place and uh, when they finally uh, settled here and, and I came around, uh, they were pretty much kind of getting their footing in the United States and that ended up being in North Carolina. And they were just starting to get into the roadside uh, mom and pop hotel, what we should call it motel business uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. And so my uh, upbringing was on the hotel premises. I mean, actually, uh, we had uh, living quarters behind the front desk. And so everything I can remember in my, about my childhood from the time I was you know, four or five years old had to do with hotel rooms and grounds and pools and uh, housekeeping carts and checking people in and, you know, people coming and going through our place all the time. And so that's kind of, you know, was my upbringing. And so just customer service and hospitality has always been, always been part of our, our, my DNA and, and, you know, many um, uh, Indian American immigrants uh, of that same um, uh, category that were in that business. I, I'm not sure if you know this stat, but I think something like, 40% of all hotel rooms in the United States are owned by um, Indian Americans. And so we're just kind of one of many stories like that, but that was my upbringing. And then you add to that, you know, growing up in North Carolina 
and uh, going to school in North Carolina and then ultimately um, moving up to New York to go work for Marriott uh, was kind of my path to, um, you know, um, to getting more uh, into the professional realm of, of this hospitality business coming full circle from where we grew up. So, um, so that's kind of, kind of, you know, who I am and how I've uh, landed here in this hospitality space. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm sure you have lots of great memories, uh, you know, growing up in that on premise there. And um, that'd be really, you know, fun to, to experience that as a child. I'm sure I'm, there's probably a lot of cool stuff that you remember. It sounds a lot cooler now than when I was at that time. When all my friends were going to, you know, really fun sounding camps and Disney World and all these things, we were putting in FFNE into rooms and we were uh, changing out the summer landscaping and uh, sweeping cigarette butts off the parking lot. So, uh, but I can appreciate it now, that's for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, how did you make the, you, you said Marriott was kind of your first uh, jump into it from like a corporate level or from a, you know, career level. Um, you know, how did you make the transition then and, and tell us about that journey from Marriott to now where you're at? Sure, sure. So coming out of college, um, there wasn't really a hospitality program uh, at UNC, Chapel Hill, where I was at. But, it was, you know, I did a general business course, you know, I came out of the business school for, as an undergrad, but I knew that I wanted to be in hospitality and something service oriented. And so um, hotels just was my anchor. And so I uh, ended up working for Marriott in entry level management training program. And so for me, it was just an opportunity to live in New York like I always wanted to do, but also understand and experience what it was like working in a major hospitality uh, organization like Marriott. And so that's how I ended up there. And um, uh, once I got to New York and I did that for a few years, I realized that I'd like to get some formal uh, education in that space. So coming up, um, you know, through my childhood, kind of seeing it uh, firsthand growing up in that environment and then working for Marriott. I don't know why, but I just kind of craved uh, some kind of formal training. And I don't know if maybe it felt like that would give myself a sense of legitimacy, you know, to continue in that space. But for whatever reason, I did that. And then coming out of that, um, that graduate program, uh, I just had a pretty, um, ironically uh, difficult experience uh, and I might even say allows the experience to the recruiting side and so these are you know uh, some of the top uh, hotel companies around the world uh, and I was interviewing coming out of grad school and just thinking about it from a journey of uh, possible candidate and uh, being recruited and what that experience was like when I when I mapped it up against the customer journey the guest journey um, on the public side, it just really felt at odds. And so what I realized was that these large organizations are really built around scale and they're built around a certain uh, operating model. And for me, uh, it was an awakening that um, culture and people and talent management really um, had to be the core uh, priority of, of a leadership if um, you know you wanted to have a different kind of an experience. And so for me, uh, that was my cue to start my own business. And what I realized, um, you know, having grown up in this space and just kind of seeing the nature of customer service in every vertical, um, that there was such a low bar. The bar had been like continuing to be lowered over my lifetime, it seemed like. And I thought, well, what, what an opportunity to uh, build an organization from the ground up that was um, centered around, you know, a certain cultural ethos. And then we would design inside out every single a piece of the infrastructure um, around that end goal. And so that was why I started um, our company, Wintergreen Hospitality. And I'm kind of, uh, I don't know if, uh, 
I wish I had a better story for the name, except for when I was, when I was 25 years old, I didn't realize that, um, you know, how important the name was. And for me, it was, you know, what domain can I get and, you know, what's uh, available from a, a registration standpoint. And it was the name of the road that our first hotel um, deal that we did was sitting on. And so we became winner in hospitality. And now I'm a little, I feel a little sheepish that I didn't put more thought into it. And, you know, maybe that's an opportunity to rebrand, you know, now going into the future, but, but that's sort of what we did. We, we, we had a name and we kind of created an organization, but I was so much focused on that cultural piece and how we were going to define the cultural norms and the ethos and what the values were going to be in our operating model that the name didn't really, um, you know, matter as much at that moment, but that was the whole genesis of it. Yeah, that's a really cool journey. Um, just kind of being entrenched in the status quo for so long and seeing opportunities and um, ways that maybe you could do it better and uh, starting your own business to achieve that. You have, uh, we're in the kindness business on your website and that looks like a, a mantra for you guys. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Yeah, sure. So it kind of segues from what we were just talking about, you know, around culture and purpose. And so, you know, if large organizations in the industry is really built around scale and efficiency, I started to think about, well, what business are we in? And it's really more of a pointed reminder to remind us of our true purpose. And so, you know, terms like customer service, hospitality, they've become so ubiquitous. Sometimes they lose their meaning or sometimes they take different meanings. And for me, I wanted to boil it down to the essence of what we were doing. And so my favorite example, and I'm sure um, most people know about this, is the Blockbuster video example and Netflix, which is they didn't realize what business they were in, right? They defined, they always self-identified themselves as being in the, the video rental business. And um, so that was really more of a definition around their model, not really what need they were solving for their customer. And what Netflix realized is that it doesn't really matter how you deliver the format. The, the thing that was the essence of what they were doing was that they were delivering, uh, you know, a, a, a vast selection of content in some kind of convenient way, right, to be viewed. And so in that, with that understanding and that framework, they were able to realize that it didn't really matter if they were going to mail you DVDs or if they were going to get on this um, bandwidth and, you know, um, this, this great bandwidth opportunity in streaming uh, delivery, that it was the core need that they needed to stay true to. And so for us, it's a reminder that we don't need to be wrapped around our model, right, which many people might say, it's renting rooms in beautiful physical spaces, right? That could be one way to describe that. And so for us, it's just a daily reminder that we want to focus on what that emotional and social need is that the guests are seeking and that needs to um, drive, you know, that's kind of like our North star for everything we do. Absolutely. That's awesome. I've heard you say that um, your primary goal is to make the guest fall in love with the hotel and then basically everything after that will take care of itself. <laughs> yeah. which, which is really cool. Um, a really cool mindset to instill in your staff and throughout the culture. Well, there's a whole business model that comes out of that, right? So for us, when we think about how we, how we uh, design and organize our recruiting and our onboarding and our training, um, you know, what are the implications if that's our mission? Well, first of all, why is that the business mission, right? A lot of people talk about shareholder value. They talk about, you know, um, a certain brand narrative, or a position statement for what your brand is going to be. Uh, and that's important, but from an internal standpoint, um, you know, I don't think we need a Harvard business review to tell us that um, if you love something, you're going to spend a lot of money on it. And so we kind of make that leap and we say, all right, if, 
if we can get our customers if, if to love the experience, then we can start to build on that emotional engagement and then the loyalty and the uh, repeat business and the profits, you know, and the, the customer acquisition costs, all those things start to be, you know, roll in our favor. And so, so once we've established a commitment to that as a, as a worthwhile mission, then we can start to design things. So when I, when we train somebody, even down to the front office level, you know, our receptionist and our, 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 our host at the front desk when you check in, um, the way we kind of translate that is, well, what are the building blocks of love, right? Whether it's a romantic relationship, a family relationship or a friendship or, or any kind of relationship, there are certain things like trust, um, you know, clear communication, transparency, respect, um, you know, even things like uh, you've got to like somebody. And so, um, you know, before you can even think about having a shot at, you know, uh, having a kind of connection that's built on love. And so then we start unpacking that into every touch point. So when you park your car, when you book a room, when you have to uh, come up against a cancellation, um, does every interaction that we have, is it designed to build trust or chip away at trust? Is it going to make them like us more or like us less? And so, it's a really granular approach to every single touch point that ultimately needs to um, continue on that, you know, uh, continue to um, stack those building blocks so that ultimately the guests feel that love. And again, you know, we feel pretty comfortable that that's going to translate to market share. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And I think that, you know, especially nowadays, I think people are, have begun finally seeing the opportunities that, that lie in really creating impactful guest experiences and, and, you know, focusing, like you said, on, on building the culture, focusing on people, um, not only just the guests themselves, but, you know, the, the people on your team. And I, I love that that's kind of the, the way that you guys approach everything in your business. And, um, you know, I, I know on your website, and it, it appears that you guys are, um, managing both some what you call traditional properties and then um, you have uh, what you call creative properties as well and I'd, I'd love to kind of for you to unpack a little bit what that means um, in, in your portfolio of work and um, kind of explain maybe the differences and how you approach those and um, any, anything else I, I know that I'd like, I'd like for you to also explain uh, a little bit more about the Franklin Hotel um, after you answer that question sure sure so when when i refer to traditional hotels for us that really means uh what we've done for the first half of our existence and it's really been operating actually i'm trying to think of what affiliations um, we've had other than hilton but they actually haven't exclusively with hilton hotels so we've operated hilton brands and to us I, I kind of mark that as traditional because there's a brand playbook and there's a brand standard and essentially we become a franchise operator and it is very hard work um, uh, for sure to deliver service, to deliver experience and to have some organizing principles around how the property level team will do that. But at the same time, um, it's really uh, executing against a vision and a, and a brand promise that has been provided to us. And there's a particular um, playbook that we have, we follow. And so then it becomes more of, you know, you're an operator uh, of that manual, right? Everything has been uh, researched, you know, and R and D to crazy, you know, to, you know, um, like crazy. And um, it's really more of uh, kind of managing. And I think uh, it is very much, uh, you know, a big part of our, our marketplace. And for my family, it's been kind of our bread and butter. It's very lucrative. I think, the Hampton Inn brand alone has probably paid 
for the college of like eight or nine of us in my family, you know, of my extended family. So I think uh, it's a powerful force in the marketplace and there's that global uh, goodwill of that brand. Um, but I think when I, when I refer to creative properties, that really comes from our experience with the Franklin, as you mentioned. Um, as an independent hotel or as a brand of one, you really have to um, use a different part of your brain and you have to exercise or even develop a different kind of organizational muscle because you're now in the realm of uh, marketing, um, you know, product development, positioning, uh, and branding and public relations and all these things. And also really having to have a, um, a deep understanding of who your uh, consumer is. And from a, not really even from a demographic standpoint, from a psychographic standpoint, is your product, you know, how well is your product and your brand story leveraged to meet the, the particular profile or the psychographic of the customer you're going for. And so for us, that was a new chapter about uh, 10 years ago with this particular hotel. We bought it um, in 20. Uh, 2007 and it was uh, the, the most beautiful hotel, the highest price point, um, you know, and in the best location um, in Chapel Hill, right by the UNC campus. And um, uh, while we had the product, it took us, you know, four or five years to find our footing on building that brand or even understanding what it means or, you know, what it meant for us to build a brand. And that's why I really carve it out as a distinct business because it requires a completely different set of skills and capabilities. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So, so in that four years, you said it took four or five years to find your footing um, in that market. Um, were the, the things that you mentioned, you know, using the different part of your brain, like marketing, branding, PR, et cetera, um, were those things that you, you knew early on when you started to build that that concept or was that something that you learned in that four to five year period or what, what sort of challenges did you face in that period? Sure. I think there were some elements of it that we kind of had in our DNA, right? Growing up in the roadside motels there are certain things you just kind of know um, that you, that are inherent. You understand things like price point and what people are looking for and, and what their, um, you know, psychological behaviors are as they respond to different rates or what the offerings are in the in the room and things like that, whether it's kind of more superficial things like amenities and um, and uh, F&B and things like that. And so there was some of that where we kind of had a sense of, but then to actually um, uh, build something and uh, design it and then target it and then make, make sure that it match up matched up with the market segment, that was new. And so we really had to learn that um, along the way in that process. And so we, we made a, a lot of mistakes, but then at the same time, we started to understand that we really had to look inward and we had to understand, you know, what was our place in that marketplace? Uh, how were we positioned or what did we offer that was unique uh, from our comp set? And then we had to um, translate that into some kind of position. And we had to uh, be true to what we could offer and who we were as a collective uh, group. Uh, because if we didn't do that and we tried to, you know, craft this really beautiful position statement that didn't really reflect who we were, we would never be able to deliver on that promise, um, on that brand promise as the customer and the guest came into the experience. And so those are the kinds of things that we learned um, and you know how to articulate that um, uh, and then how to tell that story outwardly and then how to manifest that physically with all kinds of things, you know, like collateral, like the digital presence and the physical space through, um, you know, a CapEx, uh, you know, repositioning with, with a brand new PIP of the entire hotel. So that's, those are the things that really um, uh, uh, provided a lot of that learning for us in real time. 
Uh, and that, and I, I should mention that that was the first five years of that journey. And I, I think we did pretty well, but we still struggled from a, a corporate market share standpoint. And so we ultimately uh, dropped that hotel into Hilton's Curio collection for the last five years that we owned it. And that really helped us um, because we were able to maintain the branding uh, work that we had done and that legacy of impact in that immediate local region. But then at the same time, we we're able to access everything uh, that Hilton has firepower wise versus, you know, with uh, global distribution. And so uh, that was what we did in that particular case. Yeah. As as we're in the branding agents or in, in the branding world every day, we're kind of branding nerds. And I loved looking through the, the strategy and the execution that you guys put together on the Franklin hotel. That was really well done. Oh, and, and then the part of that is that we realized that you can't just do that stuff on your own. You got to have a really um, world-class uh, branding agency or some kind of talent, right. To collaborate with. And, and this is the space that you're in. And so I think the kind of work that you do is indispensable because you know where our, our expertise is in running the hospitality organization and so we may have some inspiration we may have some ideas around what we're trying to do from a brand standpoint but when you think about you know the, the creative ways of how you execute that uh that kind of work that you guys are doing that our branding partners uh did for us uh, i don't think you can do it without that kind of um uh, talent yeah it's really cool when everything comes together and uh, puts forth a cohesive brand story. For sure. So, so you, it joined the Curio collection for a while, and then it's since evolved. Is that right? Well, we sold it last year. Um, we actually, okay. um, you're probably familiar with um, AJ Capital and Graduate Hotels. Um, I had gotten to know some of those guys over the last three or four years, and I know they were looking to get into uh, um, the, the Raleigh Durham market as they were, you know, as part of their strategy to get into you know the top tier university markets. And so um, that relationship and that rapport had kind of already been open for a while. And um, they came to us uh, pretty aggressively and um, really were committed to doing a deal. And we were hitting that 10 year mark uh, of owning that asset. And we did have our eye on some other things that we wanted to do and really focus more on that, that creative side that, that you asked about. And so um, looking at just from an investment standpoint and the numbers and what they were able to do with us, um, it was an opportunity that we really couldn't turn away when it came to, you know, what we could deliver for our investors. And so we sold that hotel to them uh, last year, back in June, and they've just relaunched as graduate Chapel Hill now. So all these lessons that you learned uh, launching the Franklin and, and building that brand, um, you know, I love, you even have a page on your website where you kind of talk about what you learned um, with that property. But transitioning kind of into the future of Wintergreen and what you guys are cooking up, uh, I see that on your website, on the creative properties, I see um, you have the Plaza Midwood uh, project and it looks really exciting. Could you kind of share a little bit about what you guys are doing on that front? Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I mean, it's really the culmination of all of our lessons and learnings and failures over the last 10, 15 years and the ability to leverage all of that in a new and exciting way. And so it's kind of two parts. The first part is uh, it's an opportunity to build a place-based hospitality experience. And we really want to be story driven with our brand. And we want to start from scratch where our last time around doing this, we had to backfill our pathway into understanding what 
brand development was, who we were as an identity, and all those things that we just talked about. In this case, we know what our um, point of view is, uh, both in hospitality and in sort of the cultural ethos of how we uh, deliver the experiences, and then also in uh, what we think we can bring to the industry from an experiential standpoint. And so what we wanna do here is uh, drive the brand narrative with this point of view through this lens, but then also design something that is um, hyper local and place-based. Uh, and so we think that combination of our unique point of view and, and a place-based um, uh, experience uh, will resonate. We hope it will resonate. Um, and part two, uh, and this kind of goes to that, that idea of hope, is that we're not gonna just build it yet. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take this uh, design thinking approach that you typically see in mobile development or product development or you know, on, on the consumer product side uh, around um, piloting things or prototyping things. And so what's really exciting is that we're gonna build out a prototype this fall and uh, we don't know how many rooms it'll have. It'll have a handful of rooms. It'll have, you know, um, some kind of cocktail lounge outdoor space. Uh, and what we're trying to figure out is, does this point of view that we have and does our story-driven brand and our place-based experience, uh, you know, how does that resonate or how do we get it just right so that it does resonate? And so through this prototype, we want to be uh, testing a lot of assumptions and a lot of um, hypotheses of what we think is going to uh, matter going forward. And so this was our path pre-COVID. And now that we're in COVID, it, it's just all the more um, relevant, we think, because there were so many things prior to this coronavirus and pandemic that we knew were um, were shifting so many patterns and cultural behaviors and how we work, how we travel, how we convene that um, we were going to have to test and understand some of these unknowns. Well, with COVID, what's, what's I think striking is that things haven't really changed as much as they have been accelerated. And so what might've taken five or 10 years to happen has happened now in a compressed timeline of six months or you know, uh, whatever we're talking about here. And so things like how people are now traveling, what kinds of things they're looking for, um, uh, how they're gathering socially and how they're working uh, are starting to become answered for us. And so we can actually use those inputs as we test out this prototype. And uh, we wanna challenge every model or every assumption around uh, the lodging um, operations. So, you know, we kind of have some deep expertise around, you know, how staffing models work and how uh, customer service models and, and food and beverage models work. And so what can we do to challenge all of the assumptions and what can be done differently to now meet the, the new customer, the new guest, the new office worker, the new, you know, social planner where they are and this environment we're we're planning to really test a lot of that over the course of you know maybe a year but that's that's the part that really excites us before we go and then build the actual hotel sure yeah that sounds really exciting that's a that's a different approach and i love that you said that you know the industry has basically been um you know accelerated it's been put under the fire it's been uh you know forced to adapt I think there's a lot of people that are making um, decisions and, and shifts and pivots now that they never thought they would have and in good ways and in bad ways. And um, I'm excited to see, you know, how you guys, you know, go through this process with this uh, Plaza Midwood project and um, seeing what, you know, great things come out of that. And, and I know that, you know, I get the sense that, you know, 
through this project and through the lessons you've learned, um, you're, it's basically like challenging the norm. And I, and I think even before, like we talked, um, you know, or before the recording and you use the phrase that I love breaking the script and it's basically just like challenging yourself, um, to think about questions that otherwise, you know, would normally be by default, there would be an answer. Um, it's just the status quo of the industry. Um, but you're basically just constantly asking yourself, you know, is like you said, with that design thinking approach, um, does it need to be this way? Should it be this way? And, you know, I, I'm curious, just like, what is it, you know, about you and about your team that just motivates you guys to just take that approach with everything, challenging the norm or, or breaking the script? I think it might be a couple of things. Um, well, one, I feel like I, I alluded to this a while back in, earlier in the conversation, just how low the bar has gotten around customer service. And this is, you know, every vertical, but you think about what it feels like to call your utility company or your, um, you know, credit card company and try to get something done, right? It's, it's like pulling teeth. It's so painful. But then you're seeing more of that even in, in areas that we haven't used to, you know, we didn't used to. So whether we go to the local hardware store or even if we go to Lowe's or Home Depot or, you know, many hotels even, it's kind of, it's like this um, uh, downward spiral. And then so what strikes me is that um, among all of that, uh, we see truly remarkable experiences and they're there. And so this idea that it can happen and it doesn't take that much. It just takes a little bit of thought, a little bit of care and proper design to deliver that. And so I think this um, drive to just, you know, uh, have better experiences for my own self um, makes me feel like I just can't have it any other way. If I'm responsible for delivering experiences, I, they need to match my own bar for what I would want as a consumer. And then I think about some of the successes we've had and, and how we've broken the script. It's just, things are so simple, but we talk about large organizations that are really designed to scale. I think um, one of my favorite thinkers right now especially with the pandemic, is a guy named Scott Galloway. He's a marketing professor at NYU. And uh, one of his comments um, that I just picked up on was that the most powerful force in the universe is regression to the mean. And so for me, you know, things like, well, why do we always hire out of hospitality programs? You know, why do we always um, uh, recruit uh, these kinds of majors? Why do we always... Um, uh, you know, pay people across the departments in this particular manner. So it's always a question of wonder that has to have a purpose. Because if there's not a purpose, uh, other than that, that's the most efficient way to do it, then um, the, to me, that's an opportunity to, to break the script. You know, so for example, it might feel intuitive and normal to uh, recruit hospitality talent at the best hospitality schools. You know, I, this is going to sound pretty bad, but I came out of a well-known hospitality school, but I don't really recruit there um, because I feel like there's too much uh, focus on the status quo and the, um, the scalability of, of an operation than there is on creating remarkable experiences. So if I think about, well, what do I really need? If, if I have a particular talent gap, um, I'm thinking about, well, what kind of person do I need and what's their capability? They're, most of the things that we need in hospitality from a talent standpoint have to do with the emotional intelligence, judgment, you know, communication, uh, empathy, all these things. And I, don't, I find more of those skill sets when I look in the social sciences, when I look at an anthropology major 
or uh, a psychology or an early childhood education or a social work background. Uh, that's where I find all of those things uh, inherent within those people. And so when I bring them on board, all of a sudden now I've broken the script of who I'm recruiting, what schools I'm recruiting at, what I'm looking for in the resume. And now I've got people to me that are just a much better match because, you know, running the OS at the front desk is, is I mean, it's like, you know, so simple. And nowadays the tech, the interfaces are pretty much self-explanatory. So I don't really need somebody to un really know the ins and outs of uh, check-in, check-out and credit card processing or even revenue management for that matter. I need somebody that can kind of lead with their heart but have the intellectual capacity and the stamina to make decisions and, and make good judgment. And, and that was that's just one example of how we're trying to break the script. I love that. That's really cool. So as we see, as we look towards the future of the industry, um, what do you think is going to shift or change? What are you excited about? What I'm excited about is that there's uh, just so much more variety happening. I think there used to be much more of a, um, a mass market. If you think about the bell curve, it's flattening more and more and more. And the tails are getting so long that there are like infinite numbers of um, segments. And so if you can crush a particular segment with what you're offering, that's all you really need, right? So I think it depends on what you want. If you're trying to be, um, you know, if you're trying to own a vertical, that's kind of one thing, but then what's the point of that, right? But the fact that now with the internet um, kind of revolution and transparency and, um, you know, a lot of the consumer power being shifted to the consumer, right? Um, you have people that are demanding very nuanced and niche uh, experiences. And so I think that's a huge opportunity because everybody can play in the field and you don't need, you know, like the old days where you had the three network television, you know, the television networks versus now you have unlimited um, uh, sources of content. I think the same thing is going to apply in our industry where, you know, you had the big players. And I think that consistent experience um, was really valuable um, around the time that that proliferation was happening. I, I would say ever since like kind of World War II through the um, uh, suburbanization and the interstate, you know, highway system, that was really powerful because you needed to know that you could, you could go somewhere and have a clean, consistent experience. I think today, cleanliness and, and hospitality and some of these basic services are your table stakes. And everybody kind of knows that um, you're going to get a uh, baseline level of that. So now I think what people are going to crave more are um, these uh, localized experiences, whatever kind of speaks to their psychographic, what their values are, what their um, affinities are. I think that's, that's the opportunity. And it's just like a lot more room for people to really thrive and, and it can, and it can be sustainable without having to scale. That's what's really cool. Yeah. That's really exciting to think about. So one final question that we like to ask all of our guests, um, you know, the, obviously the name of the podcast is future hospitality, uh, but we'd love to know also about the future and what excites about, about what excites you about your own future. Um, not even necessarily related to the industry. It could be, but um, you know, what's in store for you? Uh, you know, what are you excited about? And uh, you know, obviously you have the Plaza Midwood project that's exciting, but do you have anything else on your mind? it's hard to think of things that excite me more or other than the industry. So <laughs> it's a personal question, but it's, it's going to have a tie into that for sure for me. Um, and there's some common themes that we've been talking about that this really speaks to, but for me, it's this idea that 
I think I can, I'm, I have the opportunity to speak way more freely today with my own point of view than I ever have been able to in my career. And when I think about a, what, what a brand can do or what it can stand for and, and what point of view is manifested or reinforced and really uh, brought forward through a particular brand, I think the opportunity for me, if you think about, you know, when I talked about my journey of kind of the roadside motel, you know, experience living in that environment, um, you know, we've got experience in full service, luxury, kind of corporate, um, you know, with the Marriott experience. So there's such a broad experience. Um, that um, I can now kind of pull from and draw from and uh, to be able to speak freely because I think customers are demanding it. And so I think this um, blurring of the lines of like social, political, and business worlds, now that we see all this stuff happening, you know, with Black Lives Matter and um, with the uh, health equity inequities and, and, and how we respond to the pandemic, I think it's going to become more and more imperative for brands to really align themselves with a particular point of view and a particular value system. And I think we're seeing so many, um, you know, public statements from large companies and that feels, you know, it's nice, but it also feels a lot like what we saw ever since the seventies and eighties, you know, it's very legalese, a lot of uh, like PR strategy around it, but if the actual DNA of the leadership, the ownership uh, and the management doesn't actually live and breed those values, it's going to like, the, the brand promise will start to crumble pretty quickly. And so for me, I'm thinking we own our real estate and we don't answer to, to Wall Street. We don't answer to other, you know, like a board of directors. And so the opportunity to speak freely, to kind of stake, you know, kind of put, you know, put my stake in the ground that here's kind of what we're all about and then match up with those in the market um, that, feel the same way that affinitize with that um, and then be more vocal about certain things out in our culture. I think that opportunity really excites me because um, for the first time ever, you can do that and still have a thriving business that I thought that I think before had always been um, kind of at odds with one another. Totally. Well, I'm really excited for you and I can't wait to see all the great work you guys put out and all the awesome things you guys do. And so, Jay, I appreciate your time uh, spent with us and um, appreciate all the ideas you shared. Thank you so much, uh, Dustin uh, and Jeremy. appreciate the time that you took to uh, take an interest. I'm really happy to share and uh, really um, admiring what you're doing and been enjoying the other episodes as well. So keep it up and thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Future Hospitality and on Facebook by searching for Future Hospitality.